Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Living Open podcast on healing self-worth and choosing being yourself over pleasing your family with Roshni Patel. Roshni uses they them pronouns and they're a self-worth coach and tarot reader. Uh, Samara Kasai, who some of you might remember from an interview I did with them a while back, (laughs) connected us and I'm so glad they did because Roshni is really amazing. And I really loved our conversation. I didn't expect it to turn into so much about religious trauma and about family relationships and boundaries with family and complicated dynamics with family and how family impacts self-worth. But I'm so glad it did because um, it felt really resonant for me and hopefully it feels supportive for you all too. Um, So just a little bit more about Roshni. Roshni identifies as a third culture kid, an immigrant, and someone who grew up in a toxic household. They really went on a whole self-worth journey and since then they've developed self-worth coaching, which is a type of life coaching that they dedicate to audiences who identify as the black sheep of their family, as well as South Asian women and queer folks. Um, Some of the tools that they use are tarot, personalized guided meditation, and rituals um, to support their clients, and we talk about some of those things as well. This episode really had me reflecting on my own journey with self-worth, and I think I've just realized how much I shaped myself to be what I thought other people would like, starting from a really young age, middle school, high school, like as a way of survival and a way of being okay, and rooting into self-worth, which has really meant doing so much work with religious trauma and attachment trauma and just so much deep healing work. It's not easy. I just want to say that. It's not like one day I'm like, let me root into self-worth. Now I'm good. (laughs) But that whole process that's been unfolding over years has really helped me so much in moving through the world with more wholeness and as more of myself. So I hope this episode supports that for you. We talk about Roshni's journey with healing and self-worth and religion how struggling with self-worth is connected to religious trauma, connecting back to their family's spiritual and folk practices and rituals before Christianity, learning how to engage with spiritual and religious practices in different ways than we did within dogmatic religion, witchcraft as something that connects us to personal power, playing the role of black sheep in your family in the context of queerness and religion specifically, complicated family relationships and setting boundaries, letting go of the inner critic, not waiting to feel free, healing around self-worth and shame, and making patterns and connections in our healing work. So something I wanted to share in this episode as well, um, and it feels really relevant and timely, is that Holy is coming back for the winter 
um, in January. I think next week or in the next week or two, I'll be sharing it. Um, you can join the waitlist by sending me an email at erin at living-open.com if you want to be the first to be notified when it's open. Um, but Holy is a reclamation circle slash support group for people who are wanting some support um, through somatic work and mostly facilitated discussion and community in healing around the impacts of dogmatic religion. So in the episode, I talk about how so much of my journey with Christianity has been like, I learned how to not be myself through Christianity, and since then I've been trying to figure out how to be my actual self and peel back so many layers to actually figure out who I am and not just exist as a trauma response to Christianity and attachment trauma, and that's what Holy is intended to support. That's what Holy, that's the process that Holy helps um, people with. And yeah, if that feels like something that might be supportive for you, you can stay tuned or feel free to email me and I can let you know when it's open as well. So that's all I have to share. Happy New Year. Um, if you're celebrating the New Year, that's something that's resonant for you. I think I shared in the last episode that all the collective energy that goes around this arbitrary day makes it feel not arbitrary for me and I really enjoy um, working with all cycles of death and rebirth as they come, whether they're nature-based, internal, moon-based, even Gregorian calendar-based. So, um, yeah, wherever you're at with New Year's, however you're feeling about it, I hope that the transition into 2022 is nourishing and supportive for you and sending you all so much love always. Thank you for being here, for listening to this podcast. It is now the sixth year of the podcast, so that's pretty cool, and it wouldn't exist without you. So, lots of love to you all. Enjoy my conversation with Rashmi. And I always love to start the podcast by talking about your journey. So I'd love to hear about your journey with healing and growing and self-worth. Yeah, absolutely. So I moved to Colorado about, um, for college. So I'd been in college for four years. I knew like, I went to therapy my entire college experience because it was included in my like scholarship, basically that I didn't have to pay out of pocket for therapy. So like through that and through studying psychology and psychoanalysis and college, like I really was kind of coming into things with the, like, I always knew I loved learning about people wanting to understand myself. Um, and so those were kind of like the seeds of the beginning of my healing journey, but I didn't really start healing until I totally hit rock bottom. So a little bit, you know, kind of into my college experience a little bit before my senior year. And then also right after I graduated, like I had a lot of falling out with different friends. I had a lot of like really traumatic experiences kind of happen in my life at the same time. And I basically felt like I had no one and I was in, I'd been depressed before, but I was in like the deepest, darkest depression I've ever had in my life. And even though I've also experienced depression since then, I had none of the tools of like how to really deal with it. And so as soon as I graduated, I didn't have access to free therapy anymore. I was really like, I didn't know what to do or where to turn basically. And through all that time alone, I 
you know, I, I had been practicing yoga throughout college. So like yoga was kind of my avenue into like understanding some form of spirituality, but really I just kind of started going online. I was like, why do I feel this way? What is going on? And I kind of found like, I think I found like Sadhguru. I don't know if you know him, but he's like an Indian guru who like talks about spirituality and stuff like that. And um, so I kind of found him and Gabby Bernstein at the same time, which is such a weird combination, but like they were a really good introduction for me to start getting into the healing space and just understanding that like I have control over my mindset. Like that was never something that I had learned before. And so when I realized like, oh, I can actually choose what to think and I have more control over myself than I ever had before, I started realizing like, okay, well, why do I have all these problems? Like I felt like I was being underpaid and undervalued at work. I had lost a bunch of friends. I felt I was just depressed and miserable and lonely. And I was like, what is wrong with me that I have a million problems all at the same time? And what I realized was that everything had to do with low self-worth. Like I didn't believe that I deserved good things. I didn't believe that I was enough. And in every area of my life, I felt like I had to over prove myself. I had to ask everyone around me for permission. I had codependent tendencies, like all of that kind of blossomed at once. And when I realized like, okay, a lot of this has to do with my upbringing and my parents. And then realizing that like, I didn't live in that household anymore. And, but I had still carried parts of that mindset with me. So it really kind of all unfolded at the same time when I realized like, I do have control over my mindset. I'm creating my own environment. Like I'm not in college anymore. I'm not living with my parents. This is the first time that I've had any sort of say over my life. And that combination really allowed me to start healing my self-worth. And it's funny because I also got into all these kind of like witchy things without knowing they were witchy. Like even starting with things as simple as like definitely yoga, but like intense meditations, intense visualizations, like, and affirmations. Like I would just sit there and use affirmations until I physically felt that emotion in my body. And sometimes it would take like an hour to an hour and a half. And it wasn't like this obsessive thing, but it was just this thing that like, it was the only way I knew how to change how I felt um, and like kind of change my vibration. So I would do that in the mornings and slowly over time, like that's what led me to life coaching. Like I hadn't even heard of life coaching or coaching at that point at all. Um, so kind of slowly over like the next year of my life, listening to podcasts and other things like that, I finally understood what coaching was. And then I got into tarot after that. And then I realized like, oh, all this stuff is under this context of being a witch. And so then realizing like what is witchcraft and it was actually also my journey of decolonizing that helped me understand what these practices were where they came from mm -hmm. and so all of that kind of has led me to where I am today yeah thank you so much for sharing I think yeah I was excited to talk with you around self-work self-worth <laughs> specifically um because I feel like that's been that's definitely been part of my journey and is also connected to religious trauma for me and healing around that. Um, yeah. And I guess I'm curious, you mentioned talking about religious trauma earlier and like what your connection to like that work is too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because 
my entire family is either Hindu or Jain. Um, but my parents each in their own separate journeys when they were younger converted to Christianity and they converted into like a, like a pretty evangelical sense of Christianity, but my family grew up in Africa. So the African experience of Christianity, especially at the time was totally different. Like it was really love-based. It was really community-based. Like there was such a strong group of people. Like I, moved from Kenya when I was about five. So I have like some strong memories of being around people being like always being so loved and so held and so supported. Right. And then when we moved to Texas and the Bible belt, there was like this switch in Christianity of it being all about capitalism, all about being white. And it was just a completely different fear-based experience. And so because my parents were already set in their ways of being really Christian and because they believed in evangelicalism, they were really into like converting people even in Kenya. So that energy was kind of brought into these new churches and these mega churches. And that really influenced the way that I was brought up. So it was, you know, they were already kind of conservative, but then, you know, transforming into like this, like conservative, religious, fear-based model of thinking was, and also then being separated from every form of community I'd ever known. Like none of those people from Kenya came with us. Right. So it was like really shocking to be alone. And there was a mix of like culture shock and also being like, why am I being taught to hate when before I was being taught to love? And so over time, you know, there was, it, it was just, I can't even express like how difficult it was to be myself. Like even as early as like 13 or 12, like I related to what you said in your episode about religious trauma, because you talked about how like homophobia and questioning that had led you kind of into that journey. And that was the same with me. I was like, wait, why do I hate gay people? Like, I literally remember saying that to myself and thinking about it and being like, wait, I shouldn't hate anyone. And like, obviously I didn't even know at that point that I was queer, you know, bisexual, non-binary, like I had no idea, but I realized that like, that doesn't actually line up with my internal values. So then I started questioning everything and even bringing up those questions with my parents, like they were just like, God exists. You're not allowed to question this. You're not, you know, we're not going to have these conversations. And they would kind of say like, oh, we'll talk to you about it. But then when I'd bring it up, they'd be like, well, he exists. What are you talking about? And it has to be this way. And so there was no room really left for my understanding of it. And it was just seen as so like sacrilegious and so wrong that I wasn't, you know, part of this belief system. And, and so even like, I would even check out books from the library about other religions. And I would have, like, my parents would find them. I would hide them and my parents would find them and make me return them, you know? And so all these little things of like me seeking information about this bigger world, wanting to be interested in these greater things. Like even at home, I wasn't allowed to do yoga because it was demonic. I wasn't allowed to have candles or read Harry Potter or anything or watch Pokemon because all of that was demonic. So it came from that really extreme place where everything was what not to do and not who to really be. And because of the treatment that I got from my parents, it was even like their internal ability to love me was gone. Like they, it's not like they were saying these things are wrong, but we love you. We care for you. 
they may have said those things, but they didn't follow it up with actions. And so I felt so alone and I'm also an only child. So there wasn't like another sibling that was going through this experience of culture shock and religious trauma and all this stuff along with me. I was kind of left to figure it out on my own. Um, and so, you know, I became like a really strong atheist and then, you know, eventually turned around and now I'm like, it's kind of a crazy 180 to be spiritual and be witchy and even feel like I can believe in something greater because so much of my identity was deeply rooted in being an atheist and being like, nothing matters. Mm -hmm. I was very like nihilistic, which I feel like is common for a lot of teenagers, but, um, yeah, it it was just such a crazy 180 journey. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what you said about like the biggest part for you was it was difficult to be yourself. I feel that so much. I think that's like the the crux of it for me. That's like the whole thing. It's like I learned how to not be myself through Christianity. And ever since then, I've been trying to figure out how to be my actual self. And that's like queerness. And it's peeling back all of these layers to like actually figure out who I am and not just like existing as a trauma response to Christianity and attachment trauma and not just existing as like the self that my parents wanted me to be and taught me to be. And it's hard when Christianity is the culture of your family. Exactly. And you just feel really, you know, alienated. And it it was interesting because while the rest of my family was like Hindu, even going to like the Hindu temples, which I did with my grandparents every now and then, like my mom would, you know, hold me outside and hold my hand and we'd pray for like the blood of Jesus to protect us when we were around these demonic symbols. And so it felt like not only was I cut off from my Kenyan culture, but then I was cut off from my Indian heritage. And so there was so much that I felt like I just, I wasn't even allowed to, you know, learn about it in any way. And even, even seeing what the rest of my family was doing and then having to look at them, like they're doing this demonic stuff. That was really hard for me growing up because I felt like there was no place that I fit in. Yeah. For you, has there been any like reconnection or healing around connecting back to your Indian heritage and even the Kenyan culture too, that you grew up in? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, a little bit less so with Kenyan culture, because most of my extended family who live there also has moved to London or other parts of the world. So it doesn't feel like there's anyone really to go back to there. But I do want to go back and and visit and just experience part of that. But actually, it's interesting because my grandfather just passed away last month. And um obviously we were really close, but he like loved his time in Kenya. And so I was thinking at his funeral, like it almost feels like that history of my family is gone because all of my cousins here are younger than me. And so I was the only one who actually lived it, but I feel so disconnected from it that it feels like this huge piece of our family identity has just like vanished. And um, so that in itself was difficult, but I am, I have been like slowly learning more about Hinduism, um, about Jainism. I actually learned a little bit about the daily rituals that my grandfather did as a Jain before he passed. And so it was really cool for me to me to be able to ask him about that and share those experiences um, as kind of our last time that we really were around each other in person. Um, so I've been finding my way to it slowly, but then it, it also, it's just kind of difficult. Like it feels like some of it feels forced. And so I'm trying to find that balance between like what 
does decolonizing mean and how can I relate to it as this person that's never even been to India that is all of a sudden trying to adopt all of these practices and ways of life and um yeah I mean I'm trying to just find what's true for me but Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely been a journey because even like things like I got the Bhagavad Gita and I've been reading that slowly and I'm like what is this really saying what does this mean how can I teach myself like these ways without like just converting and not having a deeper emotional attachment to the religion specifically mm-hmm. um and I've also been trying to learn more about like witchcraft in India or kind of more of like these folk practices and it's been really hard to find information on it But um, something interesting that I learned is that a lot of what they consider Indian witches will have like take a lot of pride in their hair, which is true in Indian culture in general. But they're it the way that they say it is like they're they have their hair in a single braid and their braid is actually their wand. And so I've had this whole process of like reconnecting with my hair and growing it out and kind of even using like protection magic through braids and things like that has been like a really fun way for me to kind of connect back to little pieces of it. So I'm trying to find ways that speak to me without feeling like I'm being fake or forcing myself into something that isn't true for me. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Is that weird to say to be on that journey of yeah, reconnecting and finding what feels good for you? Yeah, no, thank you so much. Yeah, it it feels good. And that's why I'm trying to chase like, what rings true and like speaks to my soul more than just superficially saying, okay, I'm gonna, you know, worship these deities without knowing why or knowing what's behind it, you know? Yeah, I think that's something really interesting that can happen after like dogmatic religion is if like, we're not doing the work to like, actually get to know ourselves and learn to trust ourselves and like deprogram from these like systems of authority and like the power dynamics and all of that kind of stuff then it's so easy to be like okay now I'm just gonna go swallow this different thing like totally wholesale and be like okay and whether that's like spirituality or a different religion or whatever it is um but I think what's really powerful is like connecting to yourself and learning to trust yourself and finding what feels true for you and working with that first and foremost. So yeah, that feels really beautiful to hear you talking about. Yeah. Thank you. And that's what I realized is so true for me about witchcraft is that it connects me to my personal power and I've never experienced a religion or a greater belief system that does that, you know? Yeah. That's definitely how I relate to witchcraft as well. It's like something that connects me to my personal power and connects me to nature and connects me to my body. And I'm like, that that's my religion. Those are the things that I want to be connecting with. <laughs> and I think it also like there's something in witchcraft that's it's not just connected to nature, but it's inherently connected to like all other beings or like and it's like solidarity and like an understanding of interconnectedness that feels so missing from like capitalist evangelical Christianity and megachurch and all that stuff. It feels like so different and like so much more true and so much more true to how I see the world and want to move through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's so interesting about that aspect of Christianity specifically, because it's like, it's so individualistic, but it's also so much about conformity. And so everyone has to be their own same, but different person. And it's just 
a weird dichotomy where it's like, what are we doing here? Because you're not really looking at this as a community, especially when there's 20,000 people in a church. Like it, it's not a community. It's just not. Yeah. It's so weird. You're so right. It's like, you're supposed to be these individuals, but also we're supposed to be the same and think the same. And we're never supposed to question. When you said that about questioning in the beginning, I was like, oh, yep, that, that hits. <laughs> it's like questioning is like the worst thing that you can do. And I think it's because like people don't really have a lot of good answers. Exactly. You know, they, it points out a lot of the hypocrisy that exists and that's hard for people, but it's so valid to be like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm wondering like how your family relates to your relationship with spirituality and religion now. And if um, I know you do a lot of work with people who identify like, or feel like black sheep of their families. And I'm curious about your connection to that. I am definitely playing that role in my family as well. So it's relatable. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. So when I first moved out to Colorado through for the first six years that I lived here, I would get weekly calls from my mom. Like, have you gone to church yet? Which church are you going to? She would even like Google and find certain churches. She even called some of them and was like, expect my daughter to come in. Like it was a lot. And it was so hard every week to be like, should I argue against this? Should I just say, yeah, I'll go and never go. Like that was a constant battle with us literally sometimes multiple times a week, but at least once a week. And, um, you know, when I eventually started going on my healing journey and I was so used to not telling my parents things about my life at that point that I was just like, it's not like I'm going to say I'm, I'm doing better. I'm healing. Like there just wasn't that much to say. Like, obviously I would say I feel better. I'm not having as much anxiety, but going to the depths of it, it was just never really welcome. But then, um, basically on my website, in the last year, year and a half, they saw that I started reading tarot. They saw that I posted some tarot videos on my YouTube channel and they basically just called me and were like, you're not doing this. This is unacceptable. You're doing witchcraft. Like you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your clients. You're not helping anyone. Like it was like every thing was kind of just hurled at me at once. And obviously that was super hard because it's the first time that I felt like myself and felt a connection to something bigger. And I almost would have thought like, instead, like maybe they would have been a little less upset that I'm believing in something else than me being an atheist, which like mm-hmm. they saw that on like my, MySpace, <laughs> religious, whatever was atheist. And my mom was like, change it. And that was the conversation. That was it, you know? And so like, you would think like, maybe they'd be happier that I'm believing in something bigger than myself now, but it was never about those nuances, right? With Christianity and that mm-hmm. perspective, it's so black and white. Um, so, you know, we, we've gone through a lot of difficulty lately and I basically cut them off in the last year. And that was something, especially as someone South Asian, like that is so unheard of in our culture. It's such a communal culture. Like it, yeah. And so um, that in itself has obviously caused some drama, but because they live in Texas and I live in Colorado, like there's been enough distance where I can get about, you know, my day-to-day life and not feel this huge burden over me. But then with my grandfather passing, like even after I cut them off, I had to go back home and be there. And so, and that was just like a few weeks ago. So it's been like a really interesting kind of 
journey to see them in person after cutting them off, not really have these like deeper conversations about why, because I was kind of being like kept at a distance and then, you know, just going back home and now it's like that trip never even happened. So it's been a weird experience being a black sheep and it's been weirder because as I grow into an adult, I get along more with my extended family. So it's like, I've cut off my immediate family, but I'm growing closer with my extended family. And so I'm trying to navigate kind of this balance. That's, that's really difficult. Yeah. That's so difficult. I can relate in some ways. I talked to my mom, but I came out to my parents as queer this year and my dad has stopped speaking to me so it was not really my choice but um we're like estranged from each other now and it's really hard how are you feeling yeah I'm sorry to hear that um but I'm happy to to come out and be you know authentic um but I mean I'm feel like there was a lot when I first cut them off, I think it was the end of July of this year. And, you know, I thought it in my head, like I'd always had this far off idea that I wouldn't have to talk to my parents anymore, or when they, one day they won't be here. And that's when I can finally start living my life. Right. And, you know, what I, I kind of thought that like, I would feel so happy and so carefree and so lightweight after I stopped talking to them, but it was the hardest, like three months of my life because I was grieving so many things. And I had always held on to this hope of like, maybe one day it'll be better. Maybe one day when I'm, you know, rich and I'm married and I'm successful and I've done everything right. Maybe then, you know, we can still have some sort of common ground. Um, But I had to give up on that hope. And I had to stop putting it off on this far off future where I was perfect because I knew that that's not going to happen. And that's not what my life, I mean, hopefully I am those things one day, but I'm not going to be perfect and it's not going to be good enough in their terms. And I think even seeing myself, like, you know, the day that I graduated from college, it should have been a day where they were proud of me and they were excited for me and where I was celebrated, but it was one of the most miserable days of my life. And even getting a job right after that, you know, my first full-time job, like I was still constantly being yelled at. And so after I'd done and gone through some of those bigger life markers and realized like, even now my parents still aren't proud of me. Those were slowly kind of the things that were finally chipping away at me saying, I'm never going to reach this point in my adulthood where they're happy with me. And so taking a step back from that, um, has been really hard, but really it was primarily dealing with grief. It was dealing with not feeling good enough, but then also eventually it led to me taking so many of those expectations and burdens off myself. And so now I finally have gotten to these points where I feel clearly like I did make the right decision. I am doing the right thing. And I, I do slowly feel happier. Like when, because Now I've finally gotten to the point where every time I make any sort of decision, whether it's big or small, I'm not constantly thinking about what they would say or how they would yell at me because Mm -hmm. that external voice becomes your inner critic, right? And so talking to them on the phone or catching up with them would kind of reinforce that inner critic. And now because we've had so many long periods of not really speaking or not speaking about anything deeper, I've really let so much of that critic go. I'm so happy for you. That's so good. Thank you. I think 
Yeah, it's so hard when you internalize those voices and that feeling of like wanting your parents to be proud of you is so real and so relatable. I've cried about that so many times and have come to it's what it sounds like is probably a similar place of like, my parents are never going to be proud of me for being myself and I'm not going to not be myself so they can be proud of me. So that just that's just how it's going to be. Like, I can grieve that I'm not going to get that, that I'm never going to get that. Good job. We're so proud of you. Um, we're so happy for you feeling that I really want and the words I really want them to say. But ultimately, I would rather have a life where I get to be myself and live my life the way I want. So that's just part of it because in my family, I can't have both. Mm-hmm. That was so well said because, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. And you have to make that choice. But for so long, I was towing the line and I wasn't able to make a decision. And I was like, I I can't do this forever. And even looking at like, like when you're a kid, you think like, my parents are so old, like there's so much old, you know, but then like, as you grow up, you're like, but your parents could live until you're like 60 or until you're 50. And I remember literally having the thought of like, when I'm an adult, my parents won't be there one day. And that's when I can live my life. Like I said, and realizing that, like, I don't want to start living my life. I don't, first of all, I don't want to wait for them to pass to live my life. That's so morbid and awful. And also I, I don't want to be 60, 65 and then start to feel like I'm free. You know, it just became non-negotiable after a certain point. Yeah, to me, it feels like there's a parallel there of like the thinking of Christianity, which is like, when you die, then everything can be great because you'll be in heaven. So like you can suffer now and like not enjoy life now so that you can enjoy it later when you die. Um, And that that was always the weirdest idea to me as well. And it never resonated and still is confusing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, like who's going to screw over their neighbor now for someone like later? It's just a weird thought process. Yeah, I think ultimately it's just like not in alignment with my values. Like I value being present and I value what's here and now. And like, yeah, I also want to think about future things. Sure. I don't want to like fuck myself for the future, but I really want to be present and, um, exist in the aliveness of this moment. And that's just like a different way of relating to life than what I learned and how I learned to relate to life from like my parents and, and their values. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit more about the self-worth piece and I'm curious if there's anything that you feel like sharing for people around deprogramming some of those like beliefs and conditioning around low self-worth and just healing around self-worth in in general slash specifically (laughs) yeah no absolutely so it's interesting because I started you know specializing in self-worth coaching because I realized that so many of my problems had to do with low self-worth but what I've realized in the last year of this whole kind of tumultuous relationship with my family and finally setting my own boundaries was that the way that I was raised caused so many of my self-worth issues. And that's when I decided to kind of pair it with the experience of South Asian women and femmes and also black sheep, because there's so much of, first of all, when it comes to South Asian women and femmes, we're raised completely differently than South Asian men or boys. And so you could have the same parents, but it's like two sets of parents between a brother and a sister. And so 
being raised to prioritize everyone but yourself, being raised to, you know, do things that look good for the outside that make, you know, your parents, friends think good things about you, even if you're miserable and you're unhappy. Um, All of those things are things that black sheep and, you know, South Asian women have in common. Um, And so I really wanted to kind of speak to that intersectionality. And there's little pieces of like the Venn diagram that only black sheep experience. There's pieces that only, you know, South Asian women and femmes experience, but more overall, there's more in common. And with self-worth, I realized that when it comes to being treated that way by your parents or by your own immediate family, there's a lot of shame. And to overcome that shame, there's a lot of perfectionism and a lot of perfectionist tendencies. And there's also the tendency to seek permission. And that's kind of where the codependent aspect can come from. Because even if you're not seeking permission from your mom or your dad, your entire life, it could turn into a best friend, a partner, you know, um, And relying on your significant other more than you might need to for small little decisions. And so all those things coming together, there's so much shame in South Asian culture towards women and LGBTQ plus people. And there's so much shame in the experience of a black sheep. And when we talk about perfectionism, perfectionism isn't just the need to be perfect. It's feeling shame when you're imperfect. And Mm -hmm. so you think about that and you realize, okay, well, if I intrinsically feel like I'm a bad person, if I feel like I'm lowering the experience of anything that I enter, if I feel like I'm bringing other people down because they're just with me, if I feel like I'm a burden, like that's what that shame feeling brings. And when you're stuck in that, like it almost becomes like a brain fog that takes over every part of you. So of course, if you're starting your life feeling that ashamed, feeling that guilty, feeling like you can't make decisions on your own, then you're not going to put yourself out there for like these scary jobs that you think are, you know, an ideal dream job. You're not going to, you know, you're more likely to settle in a relationship that you're not fully happy in because you feel like that's as good as it's going to get. You are more likely to, you know, not negotiate for a higher pay raise or not set boundaries at work, right? So it's not just that these things are creating kind of like this brain fog and this different perspective on life, but then you actually stop yourself from these other possibilities that will build your confidence, that will build your self-esteem, that will put you in a better position in life. And so these core experiences very directly influence who you are as an adult and how you go about life and the opportunities that you present yourself for. And even the conversations that you're willing to have, like if you're not willing to set basic boundaries with people who love and care for you, how are you going to protect yourself in these greater situations where something's actually going wrong? And that's also where that piece of self-trust comes in because when you build your self-worth, you are also building your self-trust. And Mm -hmm. I realized that if I trust myself and when I genuinely deeply trust myself, it doesn't matter what's gone on in my life that is messed up. It doesn't matter what, what like friends screwed me over or what boss is trying to, you know, say something about me. If I trust myself, I know that I can handle myself in those situations. I know that I can Mm -hmm. cut off a toxic relationship or set boundaries at work or, you know, whatever needs to be done in that moment. And so I realized that 
that also goes along with perfectionism because I don't need my whole life to be perfect and fit in this perfect ideal little box if I can trust myself to stand up for myself when something goes wrong. And Mm -hmm. so those things fully changed my life and my clients' lives. And right now, even with some of my clients, like we're diving into how can we unwrap all these singular experiences you're having from the shame and guilt that you're putting over it? Because for Mm -hmm. so long, like you see things through it and then you start to see that like, oh, there's this good thing, but I'm covering it in shame. And then slowly, like the two things separate, you know, through intention, through time. And then like your whole life looks so different. And actually coming from those deep, dark, depths of all that bullshit that you're going through when you get to the other side it's like the little things like being rejected don't affect you as much the little things that go wrong you're like i've come from the middle of that and expanded my life and not you know had it cast by this dark shadow anymore so if something does go wrong if a little thing happens even if I'm disappointed. I can take time and space for me to feel that, but it's not going to control my life. And like, you almost have this feeling of being invincible because you've been so like, you've kept your head down for so long that actually peeling it above the sand and looking around and saying, Hey, I can get through anything that comes my way. Like that is the most powerful feeling you could ever have coming from the opposite side. Yeah, absolutely. That like inherent trust in self where you're like, I know that I can rely on myself and I know that I have tools and I know that like I can trust my own voice to figure out what to do. That's so powerful. (laughs) When you said that about perfectionism too, as also being about shame for feeling imperfect, I was just like, got me I'm gonna need to spend some time thinking about that later (laughs) but I really I really feel that so much I feel like when people talk about perfectionism sometimes it's like you're a perfectionist if you have to proofread your stuff 20 times before you send it out or whatever and I'm like that doesn't resonate but it's like not that at all you don't all have to be Virgos Um, (laughs) perfectionism can show up in other ways too and yeah the shame feels like such a big part of that Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, I can't experience, explain it in any other way than it's just this cloud. And like, once you get out from under the cloud, it's like, you're seeing things for the first time. Like I literally felt like I was experiencing life for the first time. It's crazy. How do you get out from under the cloud? How do you do the separating that you were talking about? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's so different for every person because the associations they have around it and the ways that they take out shame on themselves are so different. Like even for me, like I was heavily into drugs and alcohol. I was constantly partying. Like that was a big way that I dealt with shame, Mm -hmm. but there's people on the opposite side of it who are so perfect and so meticulous and so organized, but in a way of almost punishing themselves um, through that productivity. And so, you know, kind of understanding like what are the ways in which you are inflicting kind of this, this harm or this need to be perfect on yourself and understanding those patterns of how you do that can then help you slowly separate yourself from that. And, you know, when it comes to perfectionism, one of the things is like an all or nothing mindset 
mm-hmm. where you feel like, okay, I, I either have to have everything in my life going perfect. Or if one thing is wrong, like I have to, like, sometimes I would almost bring kind of like a, a shame spiral and a feeling of depression onto myself. Like I'd say, Oh, I'm having a fight with my friend. I can't go out. I can't, you know, enjoy anything. I can't let myself have a break because I'm just going to sit in my room and beat myself up mentally over and over and over again, rewind our conversation. And, you know, and so um, there's a lot of people have a tendency to fixate on one thing and make it so much worse but you know starting to separate yourself from that all or nothing mindset understanding that things can be two things at once you can have a great life and you can be fighting with your friend and that's okay and then you know i mean for me a lot of it was like these things are so intertwined but a lot of it was also realizing that i'm capable of of holding my ground in a confrontation. And I think the piece of black sheep is for so many of us, we were getting talked at and we were getting yelled at for our entire lives. A lot of us did not have space to say something back or defend ourselves because then we were talking back and being disrespectful. Like there, there's so many, and that can also kind of partner with that, not being allowed to question things in Christianity as well. Um, But understanding that like, I can defend myself, that defending myself isn't wrong, isn't bad. I can set boundaries because that also wasn't allowed in my home life, right? So finding all these kind of separate pieces and saying like, what am I, how am I contributing to my life not being fair? How am I contributing to my own pain and my own suffering in my life? And being able to confront those harsh truths is life-changing because then they don't hold that power over you. Right. And so slowly by, you know, I was kind of learning how, what boundaries even were, how I could set them without being disrespectful and then unlearning a lot of the programming around what is disrespect, what is okay. And realize like, honestly, realizing that the way that my parents saw the world and the way that they taught me about the world, most of it just was not true. And taking myself out of that constant feeling of fear was such a big part of it because then when I'm not afraid, then I'm not putting myself into a shame spiral. And then I'm realizing that there is more to life than fear. And then I'm realizing that I can choose what I want my life to be and look like. I can realize that I can set myself and my life up where I'm not having confrontations every day, where I'm not being yelled at every day. And even separating yourself from that environment like that was the biggest catalyst for me to then explore the other pieces of the puzzle and then fit it all together. Right. And it it's, there's not like a one clear answer as much as I wish there was because everyone's life is so different, but through, you know, the way that I'm able to coach people and the way that I've seen this progress in my clients, like I know it can be done through just, again, time, but also exploring the, like turning over so many leaps, exploring what's under those deep areas. And then the more that you explore them, the more that you realize these things are all related, right? Like, of course, I wasn't able to have a friendship where I stood up for myself because I'd never been allowed to stand up for myself. And then learning that standing up for myself wasn't a bad thing. And then learning that I can 
like set boundaries and create a, a box in not a box in that kind of perfect way, but I can create terms for what a good friendship is to me. I don't have to put up with bullshit and being talked down to from other people. And mm-hmm. also when you overcome that feeling of my family, you know, like when you feel like you have to do everything your family says, and then you overcome that and you start making your own decisions and living your own life, what anyone else has to say is so fucking irrelevant <laughs> to what because it's like, if I severed my own relationships with my own family and the closest people to me to pursue the things that I want to do, why am I going to listen to some random hater on the internet? Or why am I going to listen to, you know, like just a a friend who I'm not that close with yet, or someone at at work, a coworker, like why are their opinions going to mean anything to me when I've been able to overcome my own family's opinions? And that's where like, as much as you are fighting against the shame, fighting against the the frustration, you are also like building the seeds of the most powerful parts of yourself, but sometimes you don't see that. And then it comes out like a full force and you're like, holy shit, was that me? But then it's like, yes, like you have overcome this from the depths of your soul. And you've had to face that darkness head on to even see that there was a glimmer of light, but being able to come from that almost like the dark night of the soul feeling, then like you're like being thrust, like catapulted into this light, into this feeling of, I can do whatever I want. And like when no one's putting their rules and their fears on you, like the possibilities are fully endless. Mm, I'm like, yes, it's a sermon. I love it. (laughs) This kind of sermon that I'm actually here for. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that feels so much like taking back your power. Like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation around like witchcraft as being something that like connects us to our power. What you're saying feels like that. And I feel like I'm having new realizations around connecting with my power all the time. And I think for me, it's about holding both things. It's like holding the truth that like under like a cishet patriarchy and capitalism, like there is inherent disempowerment and there is for everyone based on like their different identities and marginalization. And also like within that, like how do we step into the power that we do actually have and like take responsibility for our own happiness. And yeah, I think it's, it's both. And I feel like I go through layers and layers of like, Oh, this is another place where I'm like needing to step up and yeah, take responsibility for my own joy and for feeling how I want to feel and setting boundaries around that and making changes around that and dying and being reborn into that and all of those things. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. And I, I think it's also so important to remember that just because you are capable of standing in your power, just because you are standing in your power, that doesn't mean that you have to be confrontational all the time. That doesn't mean you have to like blow into every room and be like this massive force. Like, but if you know that you can access it or tap into it at any point when you need to, that's all you need. And so it's also been in my life, especially this really delicate balance of how can I stay open and not let all of this unlearning and trauma and grief about my past close me off? Mm -hmm. Because I used to get to that point where I was just like, let me just shut myself in my room. Anytime that anyone says anything to me, because I 
wasn't capable of trusting myself and holding my ground in those conversations, I would just cut them off. And so I had to realize like, how can I not be volatile in that way or not be all or nothing or extreme and stay open, but then still always know that I'm grounded in my power. Mm, Yeah. That feels like the perfect moment um, to ask you the last question I always ask on this show, which is what does living open mean to you? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it really is that capability of moving through life with love and, but at the same time, yeah, like have, having your power in your back pocket and being able to, you know, even going back to like what I said about Hinduism and religion at the beginning, exploring everything to see what is true for you and not in a way that's like spiritual bypassing or not holding yourself accountable at all, because taking accountability is the core of personal growth. If you're not willing to look at yourself fully in that mirror, then you are not growing like truly like you might be able to point around what's wrong with everyone else, but you have to be able to say (laughs) wrong with me too. And so I think being able to be accountable, but also only really tie yourself to things if they ring true to you. And so much of that has been living in this valley, even like being non-binary is a huge example of living in this kind of place that feels in between, that's not set and catered to any specific binary or any specific labels. And peeling off layer after layer after layer to say, who am I? And honoring your fluidity in those moments, Mm -hmm. because I would say I'm a productive person. And that means I have to be productive 24 seven. Whereas now I'm like, I'm a person who can be productive, but am I unable to rest? No. And like, how can I honor all of the seasons of myself all the time and not say that I have to stick to one thing all the time in order to embody that? that's been huge for me. Um, so yeah, just honoring that fluidity in every aspect of your being is what living open means to me. Mm, I love that. Can you tell people where they can find you and work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm at BETI grew up, um, everywhere. So, um, Betty grew up is my website, my Instagram handle, my TikTok handle. Um, I still have some old vlogs and videos up on YouTube under that name as well. Um, so yeah, B E T I grew up and I currently have one-on-one self-worth coaching sessions. I also have one-on-one tarot reading sessions. Um, and all of that can be found on my website. And if you're listening to this before January 15th, I'm actually doing a special on tarot readings, um, where I'm either doing a one card reading or a three card reading, um, for a really low cost, one card for $10 and three cards for $25. Um, and so that deal can be found through my Instagram. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing and for being here and everything that you shared. It's so good. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I loved this conversation and the aspect of like previous religious trauma isn't something that I've come across a lot in this world. And so um, having someone who is on the other side of it, who understands like mysticism and witchcraft and is also unpacking all of that, like religious mindset 
at the same time is so special. So I love that we've been able to connect on that. And I love everything that you've been sharing about that online as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Forever unpacking it and holding it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that reflection. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.